Part One, Chapter One of the Swoop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Kristen Hughes. The Swoop, or How Clarence Saved England: A Tale of the Great Invasion, by P. G. Woodhouse. Preface. It may be thought by some that in the pages which follow I have painted in two lurid colours the horrors of a foreign invasion of England. Realism in art, it may be argued, can be carried too far. I prefer to think that the majority of my readers will acquit me of a desire to be unduly sensational. It is necessary that England should be roused to a sense of her peril, and only by setting down without flinching the probable results of an invasion can this be done. This story, I may mention, has been written and published purely from a feeling of patriotism and duty. Mr. Alston River's sensitive soul will be jarred to its foundation if it is a financial success. So will mine. But in a time of national danger, we feel that the risk must be taken. After all, at the worst, it is a small sacrifice to make for our country. P. G. Woodhouse, The Bombproof Shelter, London Part One, Chapter One, An English Boy's Home, August the first, nineteen blank. Clarence Chugwater looked around him with a frown and gritted his teeth. England, my England, he moaned. Clarence was a sturdy lad of some fourteen summers. He was neatly but not gaudily dressed in a flat-brimmed hat. A colorful handkerchief, a flannel shirt, a bunch of ribbons, a haversack, football shorts, brown boots, a whistle, and a hockey stick. He was, in fact, one of General Baden Powell's Boy Scouts. Scan him closely. Do not dismiss him with a passing glance, for you are looking at the boy of destiny, at Clarence MacAndrew Chugwater, who saved England. Today, those features are familiar to all. Everyone has seen the Chugwater column in Aldwych, the equestrian statue in Chugwater Road, formerly Piccadilly, and the picture postcards in the stationer's windows. That bulging forehead distended with useful information, that massive chin, those eyes gleaming behind their spectacles, that tout ensemble, that je ne sais quoi. In a word, Clarence. He could do everything that the Boy Scout must learn to do. He could low like a bull. He could gurgle like a wood pigeon. He could imitate the cry of the turnip in order to deceive rabbits. He could smile and whistle simultaneously in accordance with Rule Eight, and only those who have tried this know how difficult it is. He could spoor, fell trees, tell the character from the boot sole, and fling the squaler. He did all these things well, but what he was really best at was flinging the squaler. Clarence, on this sultry August afternoon, was tensely occupied tracking the family cat across the dining room carpet by its footprints. Glancing up for a moment, he caught sight of the other members of the family. England, my England, he moaned. It was indeed a sight to extract tears of blood from any Boy Scout. The table had been moved back against the wall, and in the cleared space, Mr. Chugwater. Whose duty it was to have set an example to his children, was playing Diabolo. Beside him, engrossed in cup and ball, was his wife. 
Reggie Chugwater, the eldest son, the heir, the hope of the house, was reading the cricket news in an early edition of the evening paper. Horace, his brother, was playing pop and taw with his sister Grace, and Grace's fiancé, Ralph Peabody. Alice, the other Miss Chugwater, was mending a badminton racket. Not a single member of that family was practising with the rifle, or drilling, or learning to make bandages. Clarence groaned. "'If you can't play without snorting like that, my boy,' said Mr. Chugwater a little irritably, "'you must find some other game. You made me jump just as I was going to beat my record.' "'Talking of records,' said Reggie, "'Fry's on his way to his eighth successive century. If he goes on like this, Lancashire will win the championship.' "'I thought he was playing for Somerset,' said Horace. "'That was a fortnight ago.' "'You ought to keep up to date in an important subject like cricket.' Once more Clarence snorted bitterly. "'I'm sure you ought not to be down on the floor, Clarence,' said Mr. Chugwater anxiously. "'It's so draughty, and you have evidently got a nasty cold. Must you lie on the floor?' "'I am sporing,' said Clarence, with simple dignity. "'But I'm sure you can spore better sitting on a chair with a nice book.' "'I think the kid's sickening for something,' put in Horace critically. "'And he's deuced rupee. What's up, Clary?' "'I was thinking,' said Clarence, "'of my country, of England.' "'What's the matter with England?' "'She's all right,' murmured Ralph Peabody. "'My fallen country,' sighed Clarence, "'a not unmanly tear bedewing the glasses of his spectacles.' "'My fallen, stricken country!' "'That kid,' said Reggie, laying down his paper, "'is talking right through his hat. "'My dear old son, are you aware that England has never been so strong all round as she is now? "'Do you ever read the papers? "'Don't you know that we've got the Ashes and the Gulf Championship, "'and the Wibbly-Wob Championship, and the Spiropole, Spilkins, Puff Feather, "'and Animal Grab Championships?' "'Has it come to your notice that our croquet pair beat America last Thursday by eight hoops? "'Did you happen to hear that we won the hop, skip, and jump at the last Olympic Games? "'You've been out in the woods, old sport.' "'Clarence's heart was too full for words. "'He rose in silence and quitted the room. "'Got the pip or something,' said Reggie. "'Rum, kid. I say, Hurst's bowling well. Five for twenty-three so far.' Clarence wandered moodily out of the house. The Chugwaters lived in a desirable villa residence, which Mr. Chugwater had built in Essex. It was a typical Englishman's home. Its name was Nasturtium Villa. As Clarence walked down the road, the excited voice of a newspaper boy came to him. Presently the boy turned the corner, shouting, "'Curlapse of Surrey! Sensational bowling at the Oval!' He stopped on seeing Clarence. "'Paper, General?' Clarence shook his head. Then he uttered a startled exclamation, for his eye had fallen on the poster. It ran as follows. "'Surrey doing badly. German army lands in England.'" End of Part 1 Chapter 1